Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King. Welcome to another very special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast, where the only thing worse than our pick and ban phase is the WCA's ability to organize literally anything. Uh, we have, are really excited uh, for this two-part megacast of this World Cyber Arena tournament that will be going on in China. I have no idea what to expect. There's been a lot of crazy news surrounding all these things. But we do have three people here in this mega panel we have assembled for you that are going to break it all down uh, with what we actually do know nowadays. Uh, and it starts with uh, Jen Kennedy from Gold Pretend. Hey. Uh, we've got Josh Burry from the, uh, the news editor for Heroes of the Storm for the Score Esports. Thanks a lot for having me back. Uh, and we've got my good friend Walter Fedchuk. Walter, well, how you doing, buddy? I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad that we'll finally do a podcast where there are people that know more about the the sport that we're talking about. So I'm actually <laughs> going to have to like not be allowed to talk out of my out of my ass. I'm actually going to have to provide some intelligent <laughs> conversation, unlike any podcast you and I do. Yeah, no, this is going to be fun. Uh, I was le- fortunate enough to have both Josh and Jen on for the pre and post coverage of the DreamHack Winter Clash tournament uh, that happened a couple weeks ago. So it's very awesome to have you guys back on the show. I'm really excited to talk about all this stuff. But before we could talk about the tournament itself, uh, unfortunately, we have no choice but to delve into a lot of the weirdness that has surrounded this tournament. Namely, uh, as Gosu Gamers has publicly tweeted out today, we have three teams now, uh, Complexity, Tempo Storm and Cloud9 that will not be attending this tournament. Uh, this is a, th- a fourth of the entire population of teams that was going to attend this tournament. And when asked whether or not uh, we would get a bracket to see how they were going to adjust uh, in this whole thing, we got an answer from Ghost of Gamers saying, quote, not yet, we'll most likely have to wait until the start day to find out, unfortunately. Now, Walter, you and I have talked about infrastructure in the past when it comes to esports and you know how all these different tournaments handle these things. What runs through your mind when you hear that a tournament with $250,000 on the line isn't going to tell us what the bracket is going to be or even if they're going to find replacement teams until the day of the tournament? Well, I'm... I'm- Rather good friends with the the cognitive gaming team, uh, and I've talked to them a little bit about what's kind of going beyond this behind the scenes uh, in terms of getting to go to China because they're they're like super excited. Most of them, this is like their their first time ever getting to take a trip like this, so they're all really excited. But I know that they had a lot of uh, problems dealing with WCA when it came to uh, getting their visa situation all sorted out, getting their flights to China all sit- sorted out. And I can confirm as of, you know, early this morning when, uh, when cloud nine decided, you know, stated that they weren't going to go in some semi cryptic tweets, I suppose that they don't even know what the brackets are. They have absolutely no clue what's going on once they get there in terms of, is it, are we still going to have the same exact bracket? Just two teams are just, you know, Two teams are disappearing from Group A and one's disappearing from Group B. Uh, they knew for a while, though, that, that Tempo Storm and Complexity weren't going to show up, mainly because of the roster changes that have happened. Tempo Storm, of course, losing Arthalon and, and Zuna following BlizzCon and uh, recently having Dreadnought uh, retire, so to speak. So they knew those two teams weren't going. And this is, you know, a couple weeks ago, and they thought WCA was going to change the brackets then. And 
now all of a sudden Cloud9's pulling out, which from what I know behind the scenes is just that they're kind of tired of being in China and they all want to go home and they all want to break and this tournament really isn't that important to them. So it's unfortunate that this tournament sits in kind of this, this spot right after the Heroes of the Storm World Championship where a lot of teams want to take a break and that's kind of where we're at is they want to take a break. There's roster changes and Cognitive is the only one that's had a consistent, that has a consistent roster that hasn't been playing for, you know, the past three months straight. Yeah. So this brings up a larger point, I think about the way some of these tournaments are handled. Now, Josh, obviously you and I talked heading into DreamHack about how exciting it was to see so many newer European rosters on display, but there is this, this point that, that Walter just made about how much turnover there's been, uh, how they've, you know, there's just so many either new players that are coming into these things or old teams that you can tell the fatigue maybe of a team like Dignitas or Navi that are kind of slowly but surely putting new pieces together. Do you think that this is an inherent problem with, you know, a, a format that allows all these different kind of tournaments to do their own thing? Or do you think that this is a WCA specific problem that other tournaments would be able to handle this a little bit better than what we've seen on display here. I think I probably have a better chance of winning BlizzCon 2016 as part of Tempo Storm than I would getting a good answer about the upcoming WCA event. <laughs> um, it's it's unfortunate. I would I would blame WCA, I guess, but I mean, I, you'd, like the North American thing specifically, I'd say like. We have these rosters that are going through turnover. Um, Tempo Storm doesn't even have a full roster, so it's not really a surprise to see them not going to this event. And more than anything, I blame the fact that the qualifiers for this event were months ago. Mm. Like, Zuna, Zuna had just joined Tempo Storm when they qualified for this event. And there's no way that a team is going to stick together that whole period of time. Like, they're, like Cognitive just qualified, but... It was after, I mean, it was like the recent online qualifiers, so it's not really the same thing. And I, at the end of the day, that's the biggest problem. I mean, the Liquid also qualified a while back, but that's not the same team that's going to this event. So that uh, primarily, it's just the hero scene is so young. We have turnover in teams, and asking a team to stick together for six months at this point is it's pretty much out of the question. So I would blame a lot of it on that. Yeah, exactly. I was going to just back up that point is you, this is such a young kind of game and these teams are still very young. And so they go through a lot of different changes and you can expect a team that you invite, you know, like six months ago to stay the same, to be the same, to still like be a world-class team that you invited and that you're expecting to show up. So I think that's more on the fault of the WCA for inviting these teams such a long time ago and then expecting everything to just not change. Yeah. And, and some of that I think comes down to the fact that the WCA has a lot of different esports that they choose to cover at these tournaments. Um, Heroes of the storm is not going to be the biggest one covered of all the, uh, the events happening here, but you would think that with $250,000 on the line, they'd come up with a way to have these qualifiers, uh, a little bit closer to the actual thing, that they'd have some contingency plans, which we haven't seen any evidence of at this point. It just puts it in a, a very interesting place, and I think the the youth of this particular scene is a very good point. We haven't had the number of years to iron this out as we have in some of the other esports. But 
the good news is there are still some teams here that are very exciting to talk about. And it starts with a Chinese team that maybe isn't getting a lot of credit if you look at you know just sites like Gosu Gamers, who had them at the 103rd spot, which I'm, I'm not sure I particularly agree with. But it is OMG. This is a team that a lot of people know from, uh, from their League of Legends squad. They've been doing relatively well recently. They've got the top four in the ECL. They managed to get out of that group in a group that had EDG in it. Uh, they've done very well in uh, the Gold Series recently, uh, getting knocked out with a fifth-place spot and a 3-1 loss to Cloud9. Uh, Jen, when you look at this team and you look at how they've done recently versus where they were historically as a team, what are you noticing that's kind of changed with these guys that's made them more of a threat than they've been in the past? Uh, I think a lot of it is just their consistency. Like, they have always been around a middle-of-the-pack team. You know, you had a stat saying that they've won maybe, like, exactly 50% of their games. And I think the biggest thing for them to become a uh, kind of top-tier team is just to continue to beat the teams below them. You know, they um, beat, they had to beat uh, Braveheart in the first round of the Gold League playoffs, and so they have to continue to beat the teams below them like Braveheart, you know, like um, an AHQ, like a YL or things like that, but they have to just continue to beat the teams below them and then look towards the teams above them because I don't see them right now beating any of the top Chinese teams. You know, they lost 3-0 to EDG and there is a, you know, there's a good reason for that. And so I think they just need to kind of look at the teams below them and see what are we doing better than keep doing that and then look at the teams above them and say what are they doing differently than us. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch as they've tried to adapt to this meta specifically. Uh, Josh, I, I know that you tend to focus on North America and Europe as a general rule, but obviously this has been a team that's that's been on the rise and that people have been talking about. Is there anything in particular that stood out to you as something you're noticing from uh, from a hero standpoint that maybe has shifted things in their favor? Because I think there are a couple things you look at uh, when you look at just how they've done on certain heroes that have really helped them out in the last couple months. Yeah, one thing that I that I noticed particularly, and I mean, I think you could go either way with this, but um, ultimately, like their performance against Cloud Nine was not bad. <laughs> and whether whether you want to say that's a tired Cloud Nine just slogging their way through Gold Series away from home, some of them were ill, I heard, um, or whether you want to say that's OMG starting to figure this thing out. Um, I, I like I said, I think it could go either way, uh, but. Yeah. That, so that was one thing I'd like to mention. Um, one one issue that I sort of have with the team is that I haven't really seen a lot of inspired support play mm-hmm. from OMG. And I mean, like, support is a weird position in Heroes of the Storm, in my opinion. But, um, like, they, they have a strong Rhaegar preference, which I find to be weird. I know Rhaegar's starting to make a comeback now, and then China has maybe never really left. Um, but I, I don't know, like, I've never just, I, I, it seems like when I watch fights, I never, I don't feel that same sort of, like, rock-solid confidence from Iceman that, that I would from some of the other top-tier teams, so I'm, I, I, that worries me a little bit, um, that was just an observation I had about the team, I guess. 
Yeah, if you talk about, like, support players, you know, there are a lot of big names when it comes to supports, like, you know, Dreadnought recently retired, Dunk Train, Bakery, um, a lot of people looked at the MVP Black support, but, like, some of the E-Star support Tiger, like, a lot of people look um, to them as big leaders for their teams, and I think that Iceman just doesn't bring that. Yeah, he's not... He never does anything to astound me. I, I think one of the things that has helped is that uh, both 520 and 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 I, you know, this is going to be a minor rant here, but XXXXXTQ. I don't know why he needs to be <laughs> named that way. Like, do we need all five X's? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but the ETC becoming more of a thing and, and getting those mosh pits to go off for them has helped. I think it's given them a little bit of a more consistent team fight. But it does worry me. In the long run, um, you know, if they don't have a support that they can trust to get those fights, if they have to rely on, you know, some of those ETC heals, that's something that you can ban around. And I think teams have done a better job of banning around it. And I just, that's actually a really good point by Jen that um, we need, like, a support player, in, in essence, can set the tone for their team. And in North America recently, there's been a lot of support players that maybe aren't the greatest mechanically, but they understand positioning very well and i i worry a little bit like i said about iceman in this situation and that sort of leadership i guess is is something that it's hard to move forward without especially like like jen said against some of the stronger teams um they need to consistently beat teams below them but how do you beat e-star uh with this roster and and that's something that they need to figure out never (laughs) well (laughs) i didn't say that but yeah yeah, it, it certainly does seem like there's a power gap there. Walter, I want to close with you here. Is there anything that you want to see from this OMG team? You know, is there anything that where you're looking at, you know, prospective chi- you know, China power levels from where we've seen at BlizzCon to what we've seen in the Gold Series and ECL? You know, do you think that this is a team that maybe is is better than people would expect just because they're in a region that's maybe more powerful than people would know from what they saw at BlizzCon? Or do you think that this is a team that could be exposed with some harsher international competition here? Uh, so, so my thing here is I think they're going to make it out of groups considering the bracket. Uh, they take the top four teams out of each group. And, oh, look, Group A only has four teams participating in it right now. Uh, <laughs> But that being said, you guys have made like a really, really good point about saying they're just a very middle of the road uh, Chinese team. You, you know, uh, Jen brought up you know like the fifty percent win ratio. They had some inspired play against Cloud Nine in, in the gold uh, gold series and uninspired play against top top Chinese teams like E Star. So I think for this tournament, what I want to see from them as an international fan is okay. Cloud Nine went and participated in this tournament and and they got fourth. Uh, I believe third or fourth. Fourth. So, yeah. yeah, fourth. So that gives us a little bit of idea of where international competition is, but that was only one North American team. So now adding a couple of European teams and another North American team, you know, that's kind of where I'm looking at. Where does our, you know, third place North American team, where do our, you know, you know, second, you know, one, two European and, you know, maybe fourth or fifth best European team, where do they stack up against the, the middle tier teams of these international regions? So that's what I'm looking forward to, is watching OMG play against uh, G2 in particular in that group, and then when they move on into the playoff stages, hopefully they get either Cognitive or or Team Liquid, so we kind of get to see how we match up 
in terms of not just the best teams in the world, but kind of their middle tier teams. Because every once in a while, just a certain play style can catch you off. And by being kind of a middle of the road Chinese team, they have you know the Chinese meta that they play. That means they're they're they have their meta that they play, but they aren't as good as it at it as a team like E Star. So if we can't beat E Star, is it just that we can't beat that meta, or is it that we just can't beat E Star because they're so much better? So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to in terms of the international perspective. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see how that all comes together. That said. Uh, the words I'm looking forward to see them play G2 is not something that we've heard a lot of over the last couple months. Uh, when, true, you look at the way, when you look at the way DreamHack went down, they technically were in fifth place there, but with the exception of a 2-1 victory over a Virtus Pro team that has since pretty much rebuilt themselves from the ground up, uh, they did not look particularly great. They got fourth place which was out of four teams in the Hitbox show match, including a 2-0 loss to TCM, which is not a thing you want to see from a team that is still ranked 6th in Europe and 11th in the world, according to Gosu Gamers, because ELO rankings are a thing for whatever reason. Jen, you talked with me after this tournament about you know, G2 being a team that really needed to make some changes. We haven't seen any changes yet. Is there any reason to believe that this team can turn things around, or is this just another potential slide from them further and further? Uh, I think we'll continue to see them kind of transition, like, you know, spiral downwards. They don't have, I mean, maybe they can get some good picks. I know uh, Nicker plays a lot of Sylvanas, and, you know, they they can have some good compositions. You know, they play the ETC, they play the Anubarak, which I really like. I think teams should kind of look towards Anubarak to get some um, good CC in to follow up on things. And so I think if they get some of the comfort picks that are especially good in this meta, they could, you know, at least be kind of competitive in this tournament. I think um, I, I, it was good that you mentioned DreamHack, because I, I think that one thing I saw that I did like from G2 is they've started to try new things. And so they, they had yeah. Yuva on uh, Nova in Game 2 against Team Liquid. And, I mean, it didn't work out, but you've got to do something now. Like, like you said, they've been sliding for a while. We, we have to see something from this team. And Nova's sort of come back in a big way recently in North America specifically. So I, I like that the team is trying new things. I worry that the team has suffered under the ADRD curse, which is like, you boot ADRD off your team... Your team suffers under the ADRD curse. And so far, that has been the case for this team. Uh, team Dignitas also hasn't had particularly strong results since getting rid of ADRD. So I, I don't want to say I'm a true believer in the curse, but maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, the difference there is, like, at least with Dignitas, you know, there's hope, right? They got some very good things from that trade with Navi. You know, they've got some top-tier players. You got to think that in time, things are going to come together. We've seen the same G2 team for a long time now, and it's hard to imagine uh, that things are going to somehow improve first, you know, from here, you know, just out of nowhere, right? You'd have to expect either a particular meta shift or something would have to change in their favor, but we've kind of seen enough of them at this point. It's hard to imagine that. Walter, when you look at G2, you know, is there anything that you're really hoping, uh, you know, outside of the occasional, you know, Joe crazy pick, like, what are you hoping to see from this team? 
So the one thing that can be said about G2 as an organization is that Ocelot, the, the owner, and he's, a, he's an old-school League of Legends guy. Like He was playing in Season 3 uh, on SK, and he's, he's old-school, and he's very loyal to his players as long as they you know, are loyal to him. And results, while he cares about them, he wants to have a top-tier organization across the board in every sport. Like He has this this really weird loyalty to his players and, and making sure they're well taken care of and, and not really just taking them because they have a little bit of a poor performance. Any roster changes that are made are made at the team level. Are the team going to their manager and, and then, you know, by proxy going to Ocelot and saying, like, listen, like, we need to make a change. We need to do this. And the problem is I, I don't think G2 has had that moment yet. That, which surprised me because the TCM loss should have been that moment where they kind of look at all five of each other and go, you know, like some of us are underperforming. Like we should, maybe we should have some tryouts and, you know, maybe some, there's some free agents that are available and, and whatnot. So I, I don't think G2 is going to have a great showing. Again, it helps that two members of their group have dropped out. And as long as the bracket doesn't change, hooray, you're automatically onto the playoffs. But I think after this tournament, we'll see some changes there. I don't know really what's on the schedule for European Heroes of the Storm after this tournament. I don't know if there's any sort of like break period where G2 can try out some players. But I think this would probably be the last tournament that we're going to see these five players play together. I think that's a really good point, too, because you know eventually we're going to get the schedule for the global circuit. And the, like you're going to need to have your roster solid going into those events. And like you said, they're sort of running out of time. Uh, there, there needs to be a decision made on what's going to happen with this team. One thing I do want to point out that is, since we were pretty doom and gloom on this team, one thing that I do want to point out that they did do well with was they actually took two games from Fnatic at the 4K Heroes Show match. Mm-hmm. So they did, they did finish fourth, but they took two games from Fnatic, and Fnatic has looked pretty good recently, as, as I'm sure anybody following European Heroes could could attest so i don't you know there's nothing that leads me to believe that they're going to just completely turn this thing around but there are some bright spots on the roster and i also just want to qualify that what i said about dignitas was mostly a joke obviously those are (laughs) those are world-class players like i've said it before jpl and schwimpy are some of the two best players in the european hero scene right now and you're adding them to an already incredibly talented roster honestly i'm disappointed that they're not going to this event but yeah, well, well, you know, who knows who's going to go to this event at this point. There are three spots available if anyone wants to come on over. Maybe we'll get zero games wait, wait, wait. from China. I, I, can, I can guarantee that there will be no additional Western teams at this event. Like, the visa process and everything that you have to go through just yeah. takes way too long for them to decide on Monday, like, hey, Dignitas and Fnatic, we need you guys to come to China. Like, it, it, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to replace, it's going to be with, you know, either, either a Korean or, or more than likely Chinese teams. Yeah, maybe like a Zero Gaming, who's done very well recently. Um, but they're actually, you know, speaking of Zero Gaming, they're going up against Edward Gaming, who is in this tournament, uh, in the Losers Bracket Finals in the Gold Series. This EDG team, you know, I think people forgot just how good this team was throughout most of the year because they weren't able to attend uh, BlizzCon due to some visa issues once it was clear that E-Star was also going to be unable to attend. But they sent three guys to that Braveheart team that somehow managed to get to sixth place at the World Championship. They have been you know, second and third in pretty much every event they've played in so far. And with the exception of E-Star, 
they've been rolling through a lot of very powerful Chinese teams. Jen, I know you're very excited about what you've seen from EDG. How good do you think this team is right now? You know, like, Where do you put them on the, on the grand scale of things with how they're playing recently? On the grand scale of things, I haven't seen much of MVP Black recently. Like, Obviously, a lot of people originally talked about MVP Black being the best, you know, the best team in the world. We saw them at the MSI MGA, like just smash everyone, and then they lost to DK. So people were concerned for where they were going. But um, I think Eastar and EDG are definitely the two best teams in China. And uh, Eastar only lost one series before the playoffs, and it was to EDG. EDG beat them two one. So I think EDG has a good chance of you know, just winning this entire thing, especially if they only meet E-Star in the finals or depending on how these brackets go. Um, I think EDG is a really great team. And I like that um, EDG and E-Star are um, two of the Chinese teams that also have a handle on kind of the European meta, as in like Europe really loves their Falstad. And so Falstad in the um, match between EDG and E-Star was 100% so I think that's a good sign for Chinese teams coming into an international tournament and meeting teams with different metas and different champion priorities. So I am really excited about this EDG team. Yeah, no, it's really fun, especially the way uh, Kanjian plays that Falstad. I think he and, <laughs> uh, and oh my god, I'm forgetting the name of the, the E-Star guy. They were going back and forth in that whole... Uh, best of, uh, of five series that they had today. And it was just so fun to watch them go back and forth because both of them play the hero so well. Jin-C. Yeah, that's the Jinsi. Yeah, Kingsi. Yeah. Um, they're just, it, it's just so fun to see China take this, you know, kind of world meta, the kind of things that we saw do wonders at DreamHack and just forcing these fights that people aren't expecting with that flight ability the Falstad has and being able to take that objective control and turn it into things. And the fact that they're able to do that and still have the kind of, you know, team fighting and early game strengths that we see a lot of China have has just been a lot of fun to watch. Walter, I know you've seen uh, this team a little bit, at least the games that they've had against Cloud9. You know, how good, you know... Looking at, you know, Gemini and Caradar, these guys that did really well at BlizzCon, even on a team that wasn't necessarily communicating together, you know, do you agree with Jen that this is a team that could take this whole tournament? Or do you think that, you know, against some of these other international talents, there might be some things that you could poke some holes in, potentially? I I think they're definitely one of the favorites, um, by far. I, I think they're, you know, one of the top three teams this tournament. I don't think that they have a lot of weaknesses, um, maybe, maybe Jen saying that, you know, adapting to the, the Falstead is huge and they played it fairly well, um, which is great against the, the kind of the European meta, but you don't want to get sucked into playing other team styles. You want to try and, you know, I come from, for, you know, regular sports and, and League of Legends where you're trying to force your opponents to play your style and not, you know, not get sucked into the same way that they want to play. So seeing that it could be that they're preparing to play that, that kind of European style and play into Team Liquid's hands or, or G2, uh, G2 Esports' hands. So that's a little worrying to me, but I don't think it's a huge problem. Um, I think the only teams they're really going to have any trouble 
with our MVP uh, MVP Black and, and E Star as E Star has kind of given them some trouble in uh, in the Gold Cup. So I, they're entertaining to watch, and I, I was definitely extremely surprised with how well their players were able to play during BlizzCon. So they'll they'll be an entertaining entertaining team to watch, and they'll probably be leading this Group A. They'll probably be the number one seed coming out of Group A. Yeah. Now he, here's something I want to ask you, Josh, because you know a lot of people. You know, they know Kardar and they know M because they were at BlizzCon, and, and both of those warriors have obviously made names for themselves in for different ways. Kardar being a more of a support kind of warrior, using his stuns, using the, the heels of like an ETC, and, and, and making that utility work, whereas M has really done some incredible things on that Sonya. But uh, Kanjian and SK are two guys that maybe other fans who, who haven't been following a lot wouldn't know very well. What do you think these guys bring to the table? Uh, that kind of can help them get set apart from some of the other teams that maybe aren't as aggressive in the early to mid game as we've seen EDG pull off time and again. I think that you you pretty much called it. Um, M and and Caridia are pretty much like that. I don't know. They seem like the stars of this team when I watch them. I mean, I, when I was sitting in the crowd at BlizzCon, I I was watching M play, and I I mean the, in the game against Tempo Storm specifically, I was like, wow, this this guy is really good and. It wasn't something that, you know, anybody... Like, I'm sure Tempo wasn't ready for that. Because it's Braveheart. It's these two teams coming together at BlizzCon. I think one of the things that, that you do see from the the two Assassin players on the team... Just from my own watching of their games... I watched the series earlier today. Um, the Gold League series earlier today. Um, it seemed, They seem pretty consistent. And like, like you said, M is able to do such great things on some of the more aggressive warriors like Anubarak, uh, Tyrion, and Sonya, uh, that if they can get in there when M does, that's going to that's gonna cause results for that team. They're, they're going to get what they want out of team fights. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, you want to play to the strengths of your team, and both those warrior players are very strong. So if they're in the right position to follow up when they make plays, I, I think that's a great way to go. It's a, it's a fun team to watch. Uh... Yeah, before we wrap up, uh, Jen, it looks. Uh, do you have anything you want to add before we move on? Just given how much I know you follow this Chinese scene, particularly. Yeah, yeah. I just want to uh, reiterate what Josh said. Like they are just two very consistent assassin players. I just think of them kind of as like the K one pros of their team, whereas they're not the superstars. You don't, you know, you don't watch them when you watch this EDG team play, but they will be in the right position, they will pick you, the Jaina, the Vala, you know, just things like that that are consistent in this meta that can just do damage down, they can just put damage down and just not get caught and just kind of back up this, these two really aggressive uh, warrior players. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fun team to watch. I am very excited to see if, you know, this is their chance to kind of get over the hurdle that has been E-Star for them. And to take on a team like MVP Black and really show what they're capable of. But before they can do that, they're going to have to get through Team Asia Stardust. This is formerly Team Snake Korea. They, uh, Snake dropped their roster, and Asia Stardust was happy to pick up their old roster. It's kind of traded back and forth between these two organizations, which is kind of interesting from whatever business perspective you want to look at it. Uh, this is a team that's been very successful historically, 71% win rate uh, as a team. Uh, 100% win rate this month, including a perfect run in the WCA wildcard qualifier where they did not drop a single game. But 
these games have kind of been against lesser known teams. It hasn't been, uh, we haven't really seen a lot of high quality matches from them since their third place finish in the Super League that left them staring on the outside as Team DK would eventually go on to go for BlizzCon. And now you have, you know, you have TSST, their former tank is now retired. You've got Gionga moving up. Josh, when you look at this team and, and some of these changes, do you think that, you know, this time off is going to be something that, you know, helps them kind of refresh? Or do you think that this is potentially a team that's going to be a little bit out of practice and might need a couple games to, to warm up and be the guys that we've seen them be in the past? I have to admit that as a general rule, I feel that time off in Heroes of the Storm is almost uniformly bad. Um, I, I would say that there are some circumstances where, uh, like, for example, Cloud9 coming back from China, they're going to need some time off. And, and I don't think it, that's going to dramatically impact their play. It might be worse if they didn't take it. But for the most part, from when I've seen teams go on extended breaks and get back into competition, a lot of the time, it you know taking time off from playing often also means taking time off from looking at replays. It means taking time off from scrimming. Like, and, and if, if you're behind on not only what you want to do in a game, but what your opponents are likely to do, it's difficult. Now, having said that, I think there's a lot of talent on this team, and there's going to be an opportunity, depending on what happens with groups, there's going to be an opportunity for them to get up to speed um, it, it all depends on how quickly that happens, I think. Mm-hmm. And certainly there are some guys that I think really stand out. You talked before, Josh, about how important it is to have a high-quality support on your team. Uh, Kinu, their captain, has just been such an amazing Uther and a, and a great bright wing. He's done so much to kind of help get this team ready. You know, they have Kong who can, you know, do a whole bunch of different specialist things. You know, Mongdi has been uh, a very consistently strong Jaina. Uh, Jen, when you look at this team and you look at, you know, what we know of them from a, you know, historic perspective from their time at Snake and, and, you know, what we've seen in just this, you know, this WCA wildcard qualifier where they did win, you know, it hasn't been a lot of games. It hasn't been against high quality teams, but they did take those wins fairly easily. Where do you put them right now on your power scale? How good do you feel about this team? Uh, I think they're a pretty good team. Uh, about Kinu, one thing I am a little concerned about is he is a great he is a great Uther player, and he is the captain of the team. But after his Uther, and you know, if they don't get uh, Tassadar, Brightwing isn't a huge uh, kind of she isn't a great uh, support in this meta. You kind of need a Tassadar to back her up. He falls to Rhaegar, which he I have seen terrible Rhaegar play from him. It is like he will miss ancestral healings. He, There was one, uh, I remember in their final games, he just led DK right into a bush to find Oreo Man just sitting there and just killed both of them. And he, so it's a little concerning if teams, you know, Uther is a big ban in this meta and a lot of teams are pretty good with Rhaegar. So if he's, you know, left without Uther and without Rhaegar, does he have to just you know, default to the Brightwing, you know, default to the Malfurion, can he play the Lieutenant Morales? So that's just something that is a little concerning for uh, this old snake team, I guess, the Asia Stardust. I just want to mention that that's actually a great point, Jen, about Uther versus Rhaegar, because I think a lot of teams have been used to playing Uther 
for a long time. And now we have, like, obviously, Uther is a, is a popular band in some regions, but we also have, like, with the recent changes to Uther, some teams are just not prioritizing him as much in the draft. But the difference between Uther and Rhaegar, in terms of what your positioning needs to be, is pretty different. Like, if you're Uther, you can, you can use a stun... You can even use Divine Shield to get yourself out of a bad situation, but Rhaegar doesn't really have those tools, and it's been interesting to me to watch these teams sort of come back to Rhaegar. And some of these supports that have been playing basically only Uther and Karazim for, like, months, coming back to Rhaegar, a lot of supports are doing better than others. Um, So it'll be interesting to see once they actually get to the tournament and they start playing, if they do play Rhaegar, and if so, if it is better than it has been in the past for Kinu. Yeah, that's definitely a concern, especially the other one you named was Karazim. Uh, he's only played one Karazim game, according to Gosu Gamers. Obviously, they don't track every tournament, but, uh, but that one was a loss. It's not something that he would put on uh, the top-tier uh, supports that he's played in the past. It is a concern... Uh, another concern for me is Jiango, who is you know newer to this team. He's been a backup for a while, so it's not like he's completely new to the organization. But he's not a guy who's been in a big spot like this. Walter, you and I have this conversation all the time about you know what it means to be put on a giant stage, uh, especially with the quality of teams like EDG that they're going to be going up against. You know, do you, are you concerned that this guy is largely? untested in these kinds of moments or do you think that some of these other issues in the you know the system that we've seen korea be able to instill in these guys time and time again will be enough to make up for it um i i think the system will be fine this is probably not the first time he's ever been at at an event in his life i you know he played in uh they played in the wild card so he has some experience where they've they've played during tournaments um, that being said, getting on stage, I mean, at least he has the group stages. And again, unless they change the brackets, they're getting out of group stages. So it'll be good for him just to get a little bit of less less stressful uh, games under his belt. But I think in the end, he'll be fine. The rest of the players are, are very experienced around him, and uh, they'll keep him calm. And a- as a tank player, you're you're in charge of your initiation. And I know in, in like League of Legends, when you're you're when you're talking to someone who does not have uh, a lot of competitive background. You just tell them, just engage. Trust your instinct. Tr- trust your guts, and and go with your instincts. And if you see it, take it. If it doesn't work out, you know, oh well, we'll move on from there. And I think the team around him believes in him, and you know, he's not gonna. He's probably not gonna take the world by storm and be you know, the best player in the world. But I don't think he'll have any problems. Yeah, you've got to think the TSST kind of trained him up. Uh, certainly, like I said, he's been in this for a while, and we know that Korea does very well at making these kinds of adjustments. And even if Team Asia Stardust is maybe not a name that we've heard a lot from, uh, their time in Snake, I'm sure that they had uh, those kinds of opportunities. We've seen Snake do very good things in the past in multiple different esports. So now it's time to do that thing that all of us analysts love to do, which is throw our opinions out there on how we think that this group that may not even be the final group when this is all said and done is going to shake up. Jen, uh, looking at these four teams, where do you rank them one to four? How do you think it's going to end up? Yeah, if the group stays like this, I think it's pretty easy. Like 
number one is easily EDG. I don't think that they will... I think they're much better than the Team Asia Stardust just because they have a new player and um, Oreo Man can be kind of hit or miss. He's like the main... uh, He's the big star of the Asia Stardust, so I think he can be a little hit or miss. So it's going to be number one, EDG, two, Asia Stardust. OMG is three, and then G2. Poor poor G2, they're going to be last. I mean, I, pretty much what Jen said, I think. It's, you know, EDG is, for me, is easily the strongest uh, team in this group. I would like to see G2 put up a fight against OMG. I, I think if G2 really digs deep, they could do it. But, I, I mean, it's easy to say EDG 1 and then Asia Stardust 2. Um, OMG is probably a better team than G2, but I think there's certain advantages that you have as G2 coming into this tournament like not a lot of international competition I, I i think it could it could work out for g2 but i'm unfortunately not holding my breath on that one yeah that, i think that's fair walter do you have any do you differ in any way or is, is this pretty much going to chalk i i pretty much agree probably more with josh and that i think g2 and, and omg will be a little bit of a toss-up but i don't think i don't think any one of us can really say that that edg isn't the best team in this group even if you had included the two North American teams, they're probably number one anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem like you know people were joking about how loaded the Group B was as a group of death. And it really stands out when you look at it just in terms of you know, EDG is just you know, head and shoulders above a lot of the teams left in this group. Uh, I agree. I am going to say, I think whether G2 gets third or fourth, I think it comes down to scheduling. I think if G2 plays OMG in, in round one... I think that they could pull that off. I think that they'll do some weird stuff. Joe will do his crazy things, and and maybe they can throw OMG off their game. Uh, but if G two has already taken you know a two zero beating at EDG's hands or a two zero loss to Asia Stardust, I don't know if they have the fortitude to bounce back at this point. I think this is a team that has had some tough losses recently, and at some point that gets in your head and that becomes very hard uh, from which to recover. But that's it for Group A. Uh, I think we have talked about these four teams as much as you know, we you know, really can get into, given how many things are still up in the air with this format. Uh, we are going to do Part 2 uh, tomorrow uh, when you guys listen to it. We're just going to take a five-minute break. But for you guys, it'll be tomorrow morning on Unicorn. Be sure to check that out. Uh, if you liked this podcast and you want to make sure that you get that second one as soon as possible, go to soundcloud.com slash esportsgamblinghour or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes uh, at the Esports Gambling Hour. And we'll see you guys in part two where we're going to discuss Group B and all the crazy shenanigans we can expect in this very, very talented group. Uh, and until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>